could not guess then that I was naming him. But the Hellboy incident it became, and the Hellboy incident it has remained, all through the years, years in which our best efforts to uncover his secrets ultimately left us knowing little more than we did that first day, 35 years ago. 35 years. <sighs> Closer to 50 now. And yet, and yet, so much more. As though it belonged to another lifetime. Someone else's lifetime, not mine anymore. I feel cutting half, cut off from my past since, since, no, can't remember, too old, too old. That was a reading from Hellboy, Seed of Destruction by Mike Magnolia and John Byrne. And in the scene, it had Trevor Brottenholm, the adoptive father of Hellboy found and rescued him from the Nazis during World War II. And just as it's his recollection of the first time meeting Hellboy, this episode is my recollection of the first time reading Hellboy. This is May Contain Violence. to mid-1990s was a dark time for the comic book industry. Speculators striking from their corporate buildings swooped down to drive up sales on gimmick covers and first-issue collector items. Soon it was more about driving inflated short-term sales and less about stories. It was unsustainable, and the market crashed. Marvel Comics filed for bankruptcy protection selling off their intellectual properties to studios under ridiculous conditions. But even as the bigger companies floundered, the independent comic scene began to really come into their own. One of those publishers was Dark Horse Comics. Dark Horse was the home for a creator-owned work, but they really started to make waves when they obtained the Aliens and Predator publishing licenses from 20th Century Fox. At least that's when I really took notice of them. Then, in 94, writer-artist Mike Magnolia had his creation published. It took another six years for me to wise up and purchase the first collected volume called Hellboy Seed of Destruction. I knew of the comic, having seen house ads in other Dark Horse books, including a short uh, preview story, which is reprinted in the first collection. But I was also aware of the very positive critical reception. A lot of people like this book. I don't recall ever reading a negative review. So when the first story collection was restocked at my local comic book shop, as it was constantly being sold out, I picked it up. I took it home, and I read it all in one evening. And I fell head over heels on this gothic, supernatural world. Mike brought me into. See, one of my favorite literary worlds is the one created by H.P. Lovecraft. I read him when I was in high school, 
and was fascinated and creeped out by his imagination and scope. Uh, Lovecraft, Barker, King were my teenage staples of horror. So when I cracked open Seed of Destruction and discovered the New Englander's influence was all over the pages, as well as the gorgeous, moody, ink-heavy art by Mike Mignola, I was drawn into this world and didn't want to leave it. Uh, I immediately went back to my comic shop the next day and picked up the next two volumes. Hellboy wasn't a superhero. It was heavily steeped in its own mythology, but with influences of the aforementioned Lovecraft, as well as worldly folk tales. Mike Mignola, definitely an expert. Uh, if he wasn't at the beginning, then he is now on world mythologies. Uh, he will go into the most obscure tales of from around the world and bring them into his story or versions of them. Uh, the first volume, as well as having that mythology, had everything from Nazi occultism to weird-ass mad scientist tropes. Uh, at one point, Hellboy fights a cyborg gorilla, uh, which is in the, the short story. Uh, he fights the ghost of Rasputin, frogmen, ancient frogmen, uh, and he stops beings from beyond our dimension from entering into our world. There's a lot in that first volume. <laughs> it's pretty dense. Uh, lots of story. Lots of character moments as well. Uh, no, there are going to be some spoilers, story spoilers in... Uh, so if you haven't read the book and you don't want to know anything, I hate to lose listeners, but you probably shouldn't listen to this. Or at least pause it, go buy it digitally or uh, physically, and then uh, continue with my podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, it, it's, it's densely densely packed first uh, volume. Uh, it introduces Hellboy, his father, uh, Trevor, who doesn't last very long. In fact, they have just a few scenes together uh, in the book. And uh, the part that I read was Trevor's intro uh, just before he and Hellboy are reunited after many months. Well, 10 months being apart. We have uh, a fairly small cast of characters. The only other notable people are his partners from the uh, Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense. Uh, that's Liz Sherman, who is uh, knows pyromancy, or is able to bring fire forth into the world using just her mind, which she doesn't have the best control of. And Hellboy's friend, Abe Sapien, who, for lack of a better term, is a fish man. 
if you've uh, seen the creature for the Black Lagoon or um, The Shape of Water by recently Guillermo del Toro. That's pretty much the uh, version that uh, he was going for, Mike was going for, for Abe. Of course, if you've seen the Hellboy movies, you know what Abe looks like as well. But, uh, yeah, there's also aliens from outer space. They make a cameo as well. I mean, this volume has it all. Nazis, aliens, demons, fishmen, fire starters. I mean, come on. Avengers didn't have all that. Uh, But what really left a lasting impression on me was the writing. Um, I mean, the fights look great. Uh, His use of shadows and ink. I've never seen up until then before in a comic. Uh, I would love to have some of these pages blown up and framed and hanging on my wall. Uh, but there's a lot of character development in this as well. And to me, that's just as important. I suppose I should tell you something about Liz. Here's what it says in her dossier. Sherman Elizabeth Ann, born Kansas City, Kansas, April 15, 1962. Pyrotechnic abilities first manifest at age 11. Resultant fire leveled one city block. Total fatalities, 32 including three firefighters. Mother, father, and only known sibling, a brother among dead. Became ward of BPRD in 1974. Has since been trained to properly control her pyrotechnic abilities. Last uncontrolled manifestation, July 4th, 1984. Pretty impersonal. You'd hardly even guess they were talking about a human being. Abe. I wish I could tell you about Abe. That's not his real name, of course. Abraham Sapien is a bit of a bad joke. He was discovered when plumbers working in the basement of St. Trinian's Hospital in Washington, D.C., broke open a sealed door and discovered a long-forgotten chamber. The bureau took his name from the inscription on a scrap of paper pinned up near the tube. The day President Lincoln died, April 14, 1865. That was another reading from Seed of Destruction and my interpretation of Hellboy's voice. I'm no Ron Perlman, but a few people are. Uh, That was Hellboy introducing his partners, uh, Liz and Abe. And you don't get much more than that for a good long while. Actually, they come more into their own in a spin-off series called the BPRD. Now, I've talked about the protagonists a bit. 
uh, I'd like to move on to the main villain of the book. And that is someone that Mike Mignoia pulled right from history. And that would be the royal Russian family advisor, Rasputin, nicknamed the Mad Monk. If you don't know about this guy, uh, he had an interesting life. I'll give you a small little bit of a rundown uh, from biography.com. Born to a Siberian peasant family around 1869, Rasputin received little schooling and probably never learned to read or write. In his early years, some people of his village said he possessed supernatural powers, while others cite examples of extreme cruelty. Rasputin entered the Verkhutur Monastery, excuse me for the pronunciation, in Russia with the intention of becoming a monk, but left shortly thereafter, presumably to get married. In his early 20s, however, Rasputin left his family and traveled to Greece and the Middle East, making several pilgrimages to the Holy Land. In 1903, Rasputin's wanderings brought him to St. Petersburg, where he arrived with a reputation as a mystic and faith healer. Two years later, he was introduced to Russian Tsar Nicholas II and his wife Alexandra Fedorovna, who were seeking help for their sickly son Alexis. Rasputin quickly gained their confidence by seemingly curing the boy of hemophilia. This action won him the passionate support of Alexandra. Between 1906 and 1914, various politicians and journalists used Rasputin's association with the imperial family to undermine the dynasty's credibility and push for reform. Uh, Rasputin helped those efforts by claiming to be the Tsarina's advisor, and accounts of his rampant lascivious behavior emerged in the press, compounding contempt among state officials. In truth, however, Rasputin's influence at this time was limited to the health of Alexis. As Russia entered World War I, Rasputin predicted their calamity would befall the country. That calamity would befall the country. Nicholas II took command of the Russian army in 1915, and Alexandra took responsibility for domestic policy. Always Rasputin's defender, she dismissed ministers who were said to be suspicious of the mad monk. Government officials tried to warn her of Rasputin's undue influence, but she continued to defend him, given the impression that Rasputin was her closest advisor. But on the night of December the 29th, 1916, a group of conspirators, including the Tsar's first cousin and Prince Felix Yusupov, invited Rasputin to Yusupov's palace and fed him wine and cakes laced with cyanide. Though, Russian, although Rasputin eventually became rather drunk, the poison seemed to have no effect. Baffled but not deterred, the conspirators finally shot Rasputin multiple times. He was then wrapped in a carpet and thrown into the Neva River, where it was discovered three days later. Although Rasputin was gone, the last of his prophecies was yet to unfold. Shortly before his death, he wrote to Nicholas to predict that if he were killed by government officials, the entire imperial family would be killed by the Russian people. His prophecy came true 15 months later. 
when the Tsar, his wife, and all of their children were murdered by assassins amidst the Russian Revolution. This big, dark, cold pool can't be more than 50 or 60 feet below the house. As all this runs through my mind, I can almost hear Liz chiding me. Come on, Mr. Wizard, she'd say. There's work to be done. But I don't really hear her. Liz is gone. Snatched from her room by some unknown force. The same force, I'd bet, that pulled me down here. It feels bad down here. All over my body, coarse black little hairs rise and bristle with the touch of evil. And then I hear the voice. The strange, familiar voice. What you feel, creature, is the long and bloody history of this place. Open your small mind to it. Can you hear the screams of futile sacrifice? Can you smell the hot blood on these cold stones? Eight hundred years ago, men still worshipped the serpent and sought to appease him with the blood of innocence. Fools! The serpent cares not for the blood of men. He craves but one thing, and that is freedom. Eight centuries ago, mortals lacked the power to free the beast. But that power exists now, here, in me. Look around, creature. Feel fear and wonder at what you see. The serpent, the Ogdru Jihad, the seven beasts, they spoke to men in this place. Whispers and dreams, and they speak to me. Fifty years ago, you were brought across into this world for a reason, creature. You were called to stand beside me at Ragnarok, to command the power I shall unleash upon the world. Here is your purpose. Here is your destiny. Do tell. I think I'll pass. You do not seem to fully understand, creature. By these words I do not offer, by these words I do command. I don't think so. Get stuffed! Once again, that was a scene from Seed of Destruction and my take on the confrontation between the ghost of the mad monk Rasputin and Hellboy. It's a beautiful looking scene with Rasputin towering over Hellboy. He's drawn in this kind of long shadowy cloak with only his very pale and pupilless eyes looking down at Hellboy. Hellboy's knee-deep in the muck in the bowels of this mansion. A really powerful scene. Uh, some great dialogue. He gives Rasputin his very superior attitude towards Hellboy. And he sees Hellboy as nothing but a tool to use. 
to bring forth um, Rasputin's masters, which is uh, why how Rasputin is uh, still sort of alive, half alive. Um, and Hellboy just cuts to the chase and just doesn't doesn't want anything to do with it. Uh, probably one of the most well-known Hellboy villains, even though he's only significantly in the first volume. But that's mainly because the character was also used in the first Hellboy movie. But, uh... Had a pretty big impact on, on Hellboy's life in this volume. Well, that has come to the end of this episode. Um, I meant for this episode just to be an overall appreciation of the Hellboy universe and Mike Mignola's creation. Um, and uh, I realize, soon realize that I have a lot more to say about Hellboy. So I'm going to revisit him down the road and maybe have a guest uh, to talk about it as well. I would like to delve a little more into it, um, into some of the other characters, a little bit more spotlight on Liz and Abe, because I find them just as fascinating as uh, Hellboy. Uh, we haven't even scratched the surface on Hellboy's adventures or his origin. Uh, so I would like to get back to that, not to mention the tons of spin-offs this, uh, this series has had. For being around for such a short time, really, Hellboy has had a big impact on the comic industry, especially the independent comic um, scene. And I want to explore more of it. So until next time, I'm David Schmidt. If you would like to subscribe, I would appreciate it. If you'd like to share this with other horror minded friends that would be great as well if you like to listen to my ramblings and my personal recollections of when i first encountered these aspects of horror in their different forms and uh just want to talk horror so please share and subscribe i'm going to be jumping on the multimedia uh, sorry the social media wagon soon with this podcast and um, possibly looking at a Discord channel. So if you want to talk to me there, we can uh, converse. Uh, I'll probably have some links on the next episode. So until then, have a horrific evening. This has been May Contain Violence, a horror appreciation podcast. Thank you.